Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. I was reminded in 2024 when the new year starts that people are willing to try new things. I went to the gym. There are all kinds of people there I didn't recognize. They're super crowded, right? But I'm not worried about it because three weeks from now it'll be back to normal. But I know that in the new year, people are willing to try church again, right? They're like, oh my gosh, a new year, I got to go to church, right? So if that's you, welcome. Uh, I'll walk you through this and kind of what it is that we're doing so you don't feel lost or like a stranger here. Maybe you're watching online because I don't know if you know this, everybody in the room, this is how this happens. Like people will go, I need to go back to church. So they Google it, right? And they find us and then they watch a message or a service online, which they might be doing right now. And they want to find out, are those people weird? And then they look at it and they go, oh, they're not that weird. I'll show up to church. So if that's you, listen, welcome. I'm glad you're a part of this. Um, we're actually continuing in a series from the Old Testament, looking at this person of David who, who followed God. And he became this king of Israel. And so for us in this context, the reason we do this is we believe that the word of God, when we study it and read it and learn it, it still speaks to us today. It tells us who God is and who we are and who we are in the context of relationship with God. And because of that, man just fills us with life. And we get to learn about this one person in the scripture who made all the difference in the world. His name is Jesus. And before we finish today, you're going to hear his name more. So do this. Open up your Bibles. We're in this series on David. Open up to, um, let's go to 2 Samuel, start in chapter 4. 2 Samuel 4, Old Testament, You'll, you'll find it. It's right after... First Samuel, yeah, wow. I, okay, it's a slow start to the new year. Um, but here's what's great. I'm, I have some good news for you. And good news is, is really good. Thank you. I'm, so, I'm throwing softball questions up today, people. It's really good news. But listen, good news can actually be great when the good news lands in a context that is bad. This is what I mean. Um, I was scrolling through my social media feed and I was just going through it. I saw this picture of a boat in the Florida Keys and the sun is setting and going down and the video starts just playing and the people are like, whoa, yeah, they're screaming with joy. Like they are shouting. I'm thinking, man, did they just land a big fish? Did they just find a bunch of lobster and they're like, whoa, struck it. Maybe they just found sunken treasure. None of that was the truth, because as this video continued to play, what I learned was this, that their son Dylan, who was 21, had been free diving. He had gotten in the water, and on one of his descents, the current was so strong, it swept him out to sea, and they couldn't see his buoy anymore. For three hours, they searched the Florida Keys for him. They thought he was dead, and just before the sun went down, they saw his buoy and his hand waving. And you see this picture of this family rolling up in their their boat to their 21-year-old son. Shouts of joy. I mean, it was good news, right? 
But it was not just good news because it landed in this context of unbelievable horror, crisis, chaos, and bad news. And that's what I want to walk you through today, that there's this unbelievable story of good news. Here's what I'm going to walk you through. If you have notes, you'll see it right there. It's the gospel according to Mephibosheth. The word gospel, it means this. It just means good news. So this is the story of the good news according to Mephibosheth. Now, I am not going to say the word Mephibosheth throughout this whole message. We're going to call him Meph. Not meth, okay? It's a different message. We'll call him meth. Um, But in order for us to understand how good this good news according to meth is, you have to understand the brokenness and the bad context in which meth is living. His story begins when he's five years old. And when you're five years old, there's things that can happen that can mark your soul for life. When I was five, babysitter took my sister and I to an after-school program, and we were doing this really fun thing, soap carving. I mean, you gave a five-year-old, like, a bar of soap and some scissors, like, you can carve whatever you want, like, super fun. Like, give me a sharp instrument, I'm happy as a five-year-old. So we do this, but an older kid decided it'd be really fun to take those fine shavings and say, hey, kid, and as I turned around, throw them in my face. And all of these soap shavings are now in my eyes and I can't see in it. That kind of event, it can mark a kid for life. I still honestly don't trust people. I don't trust strangers. I don't trust people that walk up behind me. When I sit down in a restaurant, my wife will tell you this. She'll walk up to the table and she'll go, you want the seat that faces the door because you don't want anyone walking behind you. See, at five years old, you learn that when strangers walk up behind you, it's not safe. Meth, in this moment, um, something happens to him that marks his soul for life. And here's his life-shaping moment. He grew up pretty well off. Uh, He's living in the best house in this town called Gibeah because, well, because his grandpa his grandpa's the king. I don't know if he called him like Bompasol or Opasol or Grandpa Saul, but his grandfather is King Saul. And his dad, his dad is Jonathan, the best friend of, of David. But when Meph was five, they got this report that the, the Philistines were attacking. And so like they always do, Uh, Saul and David strapped on their swords and they went to battle to fight for their nation. No way will these Philistines reach the gates of this city. We're going to protect our family. And they go out and they fight. And they had done this before and every time they had come back. But it was this moment at the age of five that Meph and their family, they got the news. And Meph instantly knew it was bad. Grandpa Saul and his dad, Jonathan, were killed on the battlefield. And at that moment, it threw the family into absolute chaos because the family knew what was coming next. Those Philistines were going to head to Gibeah. They were going to break through the walls and they would kill everyone in Saul's family. So the nurses and the servants, they start gathering the kids together. Everyone's packing stuff. And one of the nurses picks up meth and starts running. And as they're running, she trips. 
drops him, not sure if she falls on him or how he lands, but breaks both of his legs. And from that day on, age five, he would never walk the same for the rest of his life. I don't know if he had crutches or if people carried him, but his legs, as the scripture would say, his legs were lame. Here's his story. Second Samuel chapter four, verse four. All that I told you is encapsulated in this. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, meaning the news that they had died. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. And the story just goes on and they just kind of ignore him at at, at that point. But what you don't know is this, is that they escaped and his whole family, they went to a town called Lodabar. The word lo means no. And the Hebrew word debar means word, thing, land, or pasture. It can mean any one of those. So Meth went from this palace that he lived in to go live in no man's land. Literally, low debar. Where do you live? Nowhere. The middle of nowhere. Can I just say this? Low debar is the ghetto. You went from the palace to the ghetto because that's where nobody would find him and he would be safe. From five years old, he grew up there to be an adult. Uh, Assuming he got married, we know this later on, you'll find out he had a son there. But his life definitely didn't turn out how he thought. But it was in this low moment, legs busted, lame, that good news would arrive. So today, we're going to talk about this gospel, this good news of Mephibosheth. And here's why I want to do this. It's because you've heard me say the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so some of you are like wondering, like, this is weird. Like, it's not, there's no gospel of meth. See, in the Old Testament, it's the same God as, as, as the New Testament. And so you get this foreshadowing of how good it would be about the good news of Jesus, about how the character of God steps in and brings good news to people. And so this good news that arrives to Meph, I want you to see it because it parallels the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel always begins with this. Here it is. It's in your notes. Brokenness. The good news is good, but good news is really, really good when it's in the context of bad news. When it's in the context of bad news, it becomes great news. And we already walked through. Here's the brokenness of his life. Um, His family was broken. His living condition's broken. His body was broken. His spirit is broken. And then when Saul dies, David becomes king. But there's this huge battle between those who are loyal to Saul and those who are loyal to David. And the scriptures read this way. It says, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. It was years. David grew stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Think about that word arriving to Lodabar. Uh, to, to meth, him hearing, oh my gosh, uh, Saul's family, Saul's clan, all the people who are loyal to him, they're just wasting away. And the guy who's in charge, the guy who's gonna be undefeated is David. And he's gonna be the king. And yet our people have been at war with David for a long time. So David eventually becomes king. And all of a sudden there's peace. There's peace all over Israel. And honestly, I'll put it this way. David starts living the good life. 
I mean, he's in Jerusalem and all the tribes of Israel gather around him and there is peace. There's no longer fighting. And it's in the midst of this peace that David asked this question. Flip over a couple pages. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to be here the rest of the day. So just go there. 2 Samuel 9. David asked this question. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Get this question. So good. David asked this. He doesn't have to ask this. Like he's got everything he wants. He's got the kingdom. I mean, he's got the wealth. He's got the power. He's got the authority. He has God on his side. But he's like, wait a minute. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? The gospel of Meth is initiated by kindness. Now the Hebrew word for kindness is this. It's pronounced chesed. And it means loving kindness. It's actually the most important virtue of God in the Hebrew language because it describes how God approaches us, how God approaches humanity. It's how God initiated this gospel of Jesus Christ. It's with his loving kindness. So David asked this question, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Look at verse two. Let me just tell you the story. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show, get this, God's kindness? I think the writer is making a point here. David realizes God's been so good to me. God has shown me his said. His loving kindness, his favor, his mercy, his loyalty. God's been so good to me. So he asked the question, is there anybody in in Saul's family that I could actually pass this loving kindness on to? Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Verse four, where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's in the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar, the middle of nowhere. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Meph bowed down to David. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Think about this for a moment. What is Meph thinking? Here's David. He's the winner. My family and Saul, we were the, the losers. Even though, I mean, he, David didn't kill Saul and, and Jonathan. The, the Philistines did, but then there was this huge war, civil war between David's group and Saul's group. And now here's Meph, the, the grandson of, the, of Saul, the, the son of Jonathan, the one to inherit the throne if David wasn't there. Meph's thinking, this is it, I'm done. He's gonna kill me, secure his throne. All my family in Lodabar are in danger. But the gospel, according to Meph, is about forgiveness. Look at verse seven. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. What he's saying is, listen, the battle's over. Your granddad did me wrong. If you remember the story, Saul tried to pin David to the wall three times with a spear. He just was a really bad shot. Chase David through the countryside. I mean, we've gone through this a whole series. Saul did him wrong. David's like, 
Saul did me wrong, but your dad, Jonathan, he was my best friend and he saved my life. David forgives everything, but it doesn't stop there because the gospel according to Meph is about inheritance. Listen to what he says next. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. His grandfather's land, all Saul's land. And by the way, Ziba was a servant of Saul. And so he had been looking after all of Saul's land, profiting from it. David says this, everything that belonged to your grandfather, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give you his inheritance. I've prepared a place for you, Meph. But it doesn't even stop there. The gospel according to Meph includes this, adoption. Look at what he says next. In verse seven, he finishes with, and you will always eat at my table. He brought him from the middle of nowhere, this land where no one cared about, brought him to the palace in Jerusalem. He said this, there's always gonna be a place sitting at my table. For the rest of your life, you're gonna eat from my table. And then in, in verse eight, it says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant? I mean, who am I that you should notice a dead dog like me? And then halfway through verse 11, it says this, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Can you imagine? From five years old to adulthood, your life has just been tragic. And he looks at him, he's like, from this day on, you're gonna be one of my boys. I know your dad's not around anymore. I loved your dad. I know your grandfather, he's not around anymore. And yeah, granted, your grandfather wanted to kill me. <laughs> but you're going to join my family. And there's always a seat at the table for you. That kind of love, that kind of kindness will help melt away the pain of a tragic life. But it doesn't even stop there. I mean, there's forgiveness, there's inheritance, adoption. And finally, there's this condition under which he would live for the rest of his life. And the condition, I'm going to call it this. I'm going to call it grace. Verse 12 says this, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. And that's how the story ends. I mean, it picks up a couple chapters later with this, this other story, but this is how this episode ends of the gospel according to Meph. Why bring up the fact that he had a son? He even tells us his name. His name is Micah. He invites Micah. I mean, Micah's now going to be at the palace too. I mean, he's a part of the family. Why bring this up? David was not threatened by Meph, even though he was in the line of Saul. He wasn't afraid of his son, Micah, because instead of worrying about protecting what was his, thinking that they might target his throne or his authority as the king, David brings the whole house to his table and they lived under David's grace and favor and mercy to them. He didn't just show him grace once and turn him loose. He's like, for the rest of your life, you're going to live under my grace. And then you get the weird end of this story. The story ends with this statement. He was lame in both feet. And <laughs> it just ends there. Like, why, why would it end there? I mean, it's like the writer, 
I don't know, he's ADD and he just switched gears, right? And he starts talking about something else at the end of this. He would end the story and he was lame in both feet. And so I've thought about this a lot. And you can take this or leave this because it's not written into the text, but I think I've come to my own personal conclusion. So whenever I come to a conclusion and it's not directly from the text, you can take it or leave it, okay? But, But I think what is happening here is the writer is saying this. Meth had nothing to offer David. He couldn't stand up and work for him. He couldn't serve him. He was simply... His adopted son, forgiven, given an inheritance of his grandfather, and he would enjoy favor and relationship with the king. And he had nothing to offer David. He was lame in both feet. By the way, it's not a statement about being handicapped, okay? That's not what this is about. But I think this is about the fact that he couldn't repay David for his loving kindness, for his chesed, for his mercy on his life. The reason I call this the gospel according to meth is that I think this is God's story towards us. Every single one of those six points shows up in the story of Jesus about his love and his mercy and his kindness towards us. Can I do this? I'm going to do this really quick. Look at your notes. I'm going to walk you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Jesus Christ towards the world and towards us. The good news in the New Testament of Jesus is that it begins with our brokenness. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. What he's saying is, there's no one here who's good. You didn't merit God's favor. You didn't do anything to impress him. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The good news of Jesus Christ begins with our bad news, that we're lost. We're rebellious towards God. We were all born that way. But our rebellion and our sin was met with God's kissed, his loving kindness. Point number two, the gospel of Jesus is about his kindness In Titus 3, 4, it reads this way. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his his mercy. It was his kindness that sent his son to earth that we just celebrated at Christmas. So that Jesus might experience everything that a broken, sinful world had to offer. But he would live without sin so that he could be a perfect sacrifice to die on the cross in our place. Because if he had sinned, he couldn't sacrifice for us. He'd be sacrificing for himself because the penalty for sin is, is death. But he lives this perfect life sacrificing for us, but it is all driven by what? His chesed, his loving kindness for us, which brings us this, number three, forgiveness. Colossians 2, 13. For God forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Forgiveness is this. It's not God looking at us being like, yeah, you messed up. But tell you what, don't worry about it. We'll just forget about it. Why can't that happen? There's no justice in that. There's no justice in like, like, you were wrong. Someone has to pay for that. 
And so instead of God forgetting about it and just like washing it away, he's like, I'm gonna take all those sins from the time you were born to present day and from present day to all future, everything you've ever have done or will do. And I'm gonna place them on my son. It's his debt. That's where our forgiveness was purchased. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's what's so good that you and I in our total rebelliousness, he went to the cross for us and died a miserable death. That's the gospel of Christ, but it doesn't even stop there because the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus moves on into our inheritance. Look at Titus 3, 7. So that having been justified by his grace, justified meaning that that was paid for, our sins were paid for, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You're an heir. That means you're going to inherit something, this eternal life, life after this life with God forever in heaven. That's what you will inherit. Jesus actually gave his followers a description of this. The night before he would die, John 14, he says this to his followers. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then he would go and die on a cross. And someone asked him, well, wait, wait, exactly what's the way? Jesus says, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life and no one comes to the father. No one gets the inheritance unless it's through me. And the world will tell you different. The world will tell you if you're good enough. And you'll tell yourself, if I'm better than that guy over there. Surely God must love me. No, no, no. His love for you, his chesed for you, his loving kindness towards you is solely based off of him, not you. And we get this inheritance. And by the way, it doesn't end there. It moves on to number five. If that's not enough, he starts calling us when we are forgiven, his sons, and his daughters, because the gospel of Jesus is about adoption. Romans eight fourteen. for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received, and by the way, when you're forgiven, you immediately receive the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside you because it says this in Romans that if you don't have the spirit of God living in you, you don't belong to God. It's not that there is salvation and later on you might receive the, the Holy Spirit of God. Those are two things that happen together. You might have this experience with the Holy Spirit of God later on that some people are after, but I'm telling you that those two things happen at the same time. For those who are led by the Spirit of, uh, of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. You're a daughter of the King. You're a son of the King, which means this. He has a place at the table for you. And you have the opportunity to receive a place at the table. Um, remember, David didn't bring Meth into his family so that Meth could serve him. He gave him a place at the table and the, reminder, the writer makes it really clear. And he was lame in both feet. God did not save you so that you could repay him. I'm going to make a, 
an even stronger statement. God didn't even save you so that you could serve him. I know some of you are like, wait, 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 what? We're all servants of God. No, no, no. If you're ever a servant of God, it's only because you're a son or a daughter of the king. But some of us, when we got to our place at the table, we're like, I'm not lame in the feet. Look, God, I can serve you as if we're going to impress him. Listen, our best efforts to serve God turn up pretty lame. You know, last week, Pastor Josh shared the story of David and Bathsheba, one of David's darkest hours. Do you know that that story shows up after this takes place? His best effort to show kindness to someone else would turn ugly later on because the moment that we think we have something to offer God that's amazing, like, God, I'm gonna really do this thing for you. I'm gonna pay you back. Oh, I'm gonna serve you so well. You're gonna be so proud of me. You're lame. Your best effort to be righteous before God on your own, you're lame. Truth is, I'm, I'm a lame follower of God. Because the minute I try to do something that's so good, so helpful, so righteous, I'm just reminded that honestly, I walk with a spiritual limp in my life. And I know you do too. Because you still do things that you don't want to do. But that's why, that's why this becomes so important. It's not about just adoption. The sixth and final thing is this, that we live under the constant state of grace. I'm going to read this to you. It's a little bit longer. But... Go back and read this this week and let this just soak into your soul. Ephesians 2, 4, but because of his great love for us, there it's the starting of the gospel. God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by what that you've been saved? It is by, yeah, when you first met Christ, you got saved by grace, but then he doesn't even stop. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He's saying, it's as if you're already with me in heaven. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Wait, wait, wait. I already got saved. I'm already adopted. I'm already at the table. Like I got my place and this is my inheritance. Like I, he showed me grace the minute I was saved. And he's like, no, no, even in the future, I'm going to show you the incomparable riches of my grace because we live under grace. We're not just saved by it, but it's the constant state in which we live. I, I get excited about this because I don't think we get it sometimes. Let, let me say it this way. Some of y'all, you're some of our best volunteers at church. Some of y'all are some of the best givers at church. Some of y'all have been with this church for 40 years. Thank you. We love you. God loves you. But do you know that he doesn't love you because you serve or because you give or because you're kind? He loved you in your ugliest moment in life, and he can't love you any more than that. He loved you so much that he gave you his son. And he's like, hey, 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 here's a place at the table. It's here for you. And we're like, hey, hey, Jesus, listen, I don't have time to sit at the table. I got to go take care of the third graders over here in the classroom. And after that, I got to go meet on the missions committee. 
And after that, I'm gonna go uh, go to my community group. I gotta go serve those people too. And you are like serving and serving and serving and you have forgotten that there's a place at the table for you to meet with him. Daily, do you meet there with him? I, I, I mean, daily, do you just go, man, I'm gonna sit with my dad and he's gonna love me and we're just gonna enjoy time together. I know for some of us, it's like, I got to open my Bible. I got to open my journal. I got to check the to-do list. I got to do it all right. And like, you're having coffee with the king. Enjoy it. Be, be loved by him. He's the dad that'll never hurt you or disappoint you. He's the dad that'll always be with you and never unadopt his kids. He's for you. He invites you to meet with him, but somehow in the midst of this, we think we have something to offer him. And I think the greatest confession is this, God, my life before you is really lame. I have nothing really to offer you. But here's how Ephesians chapter two concludes. It says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. And here's the last sentence, verse 10 for we are God's handiwork. Another version says, we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Now created in Christ Jesus, when you came to faith in Christ, he starts shaping you, molding you, recreating you. You're a new creation in Christ. When you're created that way, you are created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do, yeah, go do great things for him. But please don't serve him thinking that that's your place at the table. Your place at the table is as a daughter of the king, a son of the king. We serve out of that. He created these opportunities and laid them in front of us to do great things. But it earns us nothing. So let me wrap up with this. What is the point of this whole message? Listen, you could have slept through all of that. Don't miss these two final things. It's this. In our brokenness, God shows us chesed. In your brokenness, and in your brokenness, and in your brokenness in the balcony, and in your brokenness online, God shows you chesed, loving kindness, by offering forgiveness, inheritance, adoption, and grace through the death of his son. Have you received it? If you have, here's my question. Do you cherish it? Do you daily take your seat at the table to enjoy him? Are you enjoying living under his grace or are you trying to earn your place at the table like you're trying to repay God who you could never repay? That's the first thing. The the second thing is this. David, when he understood how good God's loving kindness was for him, he asked this amazing question. Is there anyone to whom I could show the loving kindness of God? So if you're a follower of Christ, here's your question. Is there anyone to whom we can show loving kindness for Jesus' sake? Is there anybody in your life that because of the loving kindness you've received, that you could show that same kind of chesed.
favor, goodness, mercy, kindness to. Let's bow our heads as we finish this. Listen, if, you, um, if you've never heard of the kindness of God and Jesus, I would invite you to accept him today, to give your life to him and be like, I, I want the place at the table in God's kingdom. And if you want that, it's just start with a prayer. God, I accept that. That Jesus, you died for my sins. And I, I apologize today, God, for the way I've lived. I've lived apart from you. God, would you adopt me? I want an inheritance in heaven forever. But I want to live every day in your grace. And if you want that, start that relationship with him today, right now. Now listen, if you made that decision today, I'm going to tell you this. Do not let it be a secret. Every decision to follow Christ is always personal, but it is never private. Listen to that. It is always personal. No one can give it to you. Your parents can't give it to you. Your grandparents can't give it to you. It's always personal. So you have to decide. But it's never private. Meaning tell somebody. When it's a secret, that kind of decision, there's very rarely ever follow through. But when you share it with somebody, there's follow through. So bow your heads, close your eyes. I, I, I want to ask you this. And that second part that, is there anyone to whom we can show loving kindness for Jesus' sake? When I ask that, honestly, if you're very honest with yourself, maybe you genuinely don't care because you're concerned about yourself. And maybe there's something big going on in your life right now. But I do believe this, that if, if you will turn your eyes to serving those around you, God will empower you to deal with the stuff that's going on in your world. If you want someone to walk with you, in the pain that you're experiencing, we will just share it with us. When I ask the question, is there, is there anyone to whom we can share loving kindness for Jesus' sake? Maybe people come to mind and I would suggest this. That is God's invitation to you to go be an agent of kindness. And I believe that if all God's people did this, our world would actually be different. If all of us at Church on the Hill did this, our city would be different. So let's pray. Lord, would you open our eyes to see your kindness for us? Would you give us that constant understanding of your grace to live in? And God, would you give us the eyes to see the opportunities that you're going to place in front of us this week to show kindness to others? And would you give us courage to show up with kindness when we see those opportunities, God? Help us to not delay or balk, but to step full force into showing love and kindness and mercy that those people might come to know you and what a good father you are. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said,